You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello, everyone. We're back with another segment of the ask sweetwater series that we've been doing today i'm talking to dave dunsire who's a sales engineer over there at sweetwater how you doing doing very well blake doing very well how you doing i'm hanging in there you know can't complain honestly it's sunny and i'm about to eat fish and chips so you know things are doing okay getting a little takeout action but uh yeah, real quick, like, before we get into the questions, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? What do you do? What's your expertise and all that jazz? Totally. Yeah. Um, so I went to Berkeley College of Music. I've been playing guitar for probably over 20 years. Um, before coming to Sweetwater, I toured for the last couple of years for um, various, uh, various artists like Sarah Longfield, uh, Angel Vivaldi, toured with Marty Friedman, uh, Andy James, Scalva Summit, uh, kind of bands in the instrumental prog world. Uh, so it's pretty much been, you know, pretty much what I do is uh, a solo musician working on a record simultaneously while helping folks get their gear. Uh, I I do a lot of uh, do a lot of pre-production, a lot of writing, and uh, in my spare time, try to write uh, extra cool riffs. So yeah, that's nice. Pretty much me. Tasty riffs are very important. Oh yeah. All, all right, let's get into these questions real quick. So. I gotta apologize at the top for this one. I'm gonna butcher your last name, but I'm gonna go for it anyway. So, Billy Bialu, Balu, Balu. I don't know. It's bad. I should stop trying. Uh, he wanted to know: Can you guys negotiate on prices? That is an awesome question. You know, a lot of people will notice like we don't typically do like the you know, coupon discounts on the site. That's because we have a personal relationship with all our customers. Like, you know, I have customers who will, you know, hit me up in Facebook and we'll talk about gear. And, you know, not everything is totally set in stone. You know, some stuff can be a little bit difficult just with, you know, with rules and stuff. But, you know, especially call your sales engineer and, you know, ask about the product that you're looking for. A lot of the time, you know, we can make something happen or, you know, take care of you. And especially, you know, between a 55-point check for guitars and basses, uh, the free two-year warranty, and, you know, all the in-house tech support, like, we're, you know, we're doing everything to make sure you have a, you know, killer time before and after the sale. So, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. All right. The next question comes from Benjamin Slater, and he wanted to know, what is the most overlooked part of a home studio setup? That is a really good question. Um, something I struggled with throughout college was dealing with acoustics. Uh, I lived uh, right by Fenway Park. And, you know, aside from noisy electricity and dealing with the street noise, one of the biggest problems we have is dealing with the actual acoustics when we're trying to mix and when we're trying to record. 
you know, if you buy uh, an Apollo interface and a great set of Yamaha monitors, you know, that's awesome. You, maybe you get like a Shure SM7B like I'm speaking through right now. But what happens when you have no treatment in the room or no way to, you know, kind of prevent all those first order reflections from coming into the mic? Your mix is, you know, already going to struggle from that point. Um, so one of the things that I talk to a lot of my customers about are some level of treatment or something that is going to give them studio grade vocals or, or, you know, maybe you're doing voiceover, podcasting, anything like that. Um, I actually have uh, this thing called the Isovox in my studio, home studio. Um, and it's basically like a giant body shield that goes over the top half of your torso you can run almost any mic to, in through it, and you have room for an iPad. It's got LED lights, and uh, yeah, it's really cool. Very cool. Treatment, that, that is a big one. It's difficult when you're in certain spaces and they just, they don't sound right. We actually talked about this a little bit on a episode just previously, so this is very relevant. But uh, good answer, Dave. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for helping educate people, and thanks for everything you do over there. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a pleasure, and uh, keep doing what you do. We need more more gear enthusiasts in the world, and uh, it's all about it's all about the tone. Absolutely, it is all about the tone. That's a perfect way to wrap this up. So, all right, we're going to the next segment, folks. Thanks, Dave. No problem. All right, we'll keep this short and sweet since that was a another extended intro. So. Today, I'm talking to Loki from PolyFX. If you're not familiar with his devices, I definitely suggest hitting that Google machine and hitting Instagram and checking it out. It'll make a lot more sense when we're talking about some of this stuff because it's very in-depth. But yeah, without further ado, let's get into today's episode with Loki. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, a show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Loki Davison from PolyFX. What's going on, dude? Oh, you know, just attempting to stay warm on this freezing cold Melbourne morning, but apart from that... It's yeah, cold down it's there right now? It's freezing, yeah. I'm huddled in front of my heater and it's raining. Oh, what is freezing to an Australian, temperature-wise? Um... Well, as a side issue, I used to live in Siberia. Oh, okay. So you know. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, I am familiar, but I, I was I was born in the tropics, so um, perhaps my you know I am still somewhat sensitive to it. It's um some amount of Fahrenheit that I don't know. <laughs> oh man, I didn't even think of that. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to do the Celsius calculation in my brain, which I cannot do. Yeah, yeah, I like. <laughs> So, yeah, I was about to say, and then I'm like, actually, I've got no idea for you guys. <laughs> it, our um, stupid measurement systems don't make any sense. It's uh, 7C in F. Oh, wait, right. I'm just going to have to use the magic of computers. Here. All right. Um, 7C in F. All right. All right. This is the temperature currently inside my workshop. Okay. So, 44. Oh, yeah, Fahrenheit. that's not inside your workshop, it's 44. Yeah, inside my wood. That is that is not what I think of when I think of Australia at all. I'm like, isn't it always in the 80s or more? Of course, it's not though. That's just what we think. It's dumb Americans. Yeah, I'm not currently on a on a beautiful beach. Huh. 
surrounded by tropical palm trees and stuff. I know this sounds shocking. I don't. I just can't even wrap my mind around this right now. <laughs> so confusing. I'm so confused. This doesn't make any sense. Are you not with a koala bear right now? You're not. Uh, it's just outside. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm sure you're standing next to a rattlesnake and a bear, though. Of course I am. This is America. Yeah, yeah, makes perfect sense. I, I'm also eating a cheeseburger while while we're doing this, so it's fine. Which that could actually be, not be too far off. I could be very well eating a cheeseburger at any given moment. Uh, I'm a big fan. I, well, I, I would have just finished eating Vegemite, truthfully. I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> all right. Welcome to the generalizations about other cultures podcast. <laughs> I mean, Vegemite is legitimately great. So, <laughs> is it really? It doesn't look great. Doesn't it? Doesn't. Um, I have to try it. I'm not going to knock anything till I try it. But it sounds questionable. I'm not going to lie. Use it correctly. Okay, is that the deal? Imagine, imagine it's Tabasco. Like as far as a how much you need to put on your toast. Oh, this might less is definitely more. Okay, okay. Americans use too much of it. That... They're like, this stuff's really strong, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> use less. <laughs> you, <know? Right. laughs> you may have just blown a bunch of people's minds. I never thought of it. I thought yeah. you just like to smear it on there like jam. That's what I thought. <laughs> it, it's not peanut butter or Nutella. I know this sounds like a confusing concept. Okay, but... mind blown. Um, we were just expanding people's brains on this podcast. Not everything is yeah, what you um, think. Well, I know. I mean, <laughs> it all gets confusing for me. Nice. Well, mm. let's uh, get into it a little bit for those that aren't familiar. You and I have met many times at NAM and been like, we're supposed to do this podcast. And I was finally like, we're in lockdown. Why are we not done this podcast yet? So here we are. I'm glad to be finally doing it. But like, who are you? Where'd you come from? All of a sudden, this guy from Australia shows up to NAM and he's got these amazingly detailed and complex petals that just blew my mind and i don't know anything about you so let's get your backstory when did you get into music and making gear and apparently living in siberia like you, you sound like you've had a wild life plus your name's loki <laughs> your name's loki that's good enough that's cool that's good enough for anybody to get on this podcast your name's loki it's perfect um I think you might have seen some of my previous weird stuff before the pedals. Okay. Um, if I, I, I can't, I can't remember um, how if you'd seen any. I think maybe you'd seen some of the previous weird stuff. I'd been to Nam quite a few times before the pedals, truthfully. Um, I don't know if I did, and if I did, it didn't register in my pea brain. So it was weirder. Weirder? Much, much weirder. Oh yes. <laughs> okay. Well, oh, yes. let's get into it then. <laughs> um, so. Um, yeah, basic background. Um, I'm, as you might have guessed from the accent, uh, from Australia. Uh, and uh, I, I was born in the northern tropical part of Australia and then escaped. And I now live in beautiful Melbourne. Um, but yeah, so um, growing up, I actually started off playing um, violin and piano mm -hmm. as a little kid. Um and I deeply hated violin because I actually really deep down wanted to play double bass. Ah. But because I was a tiny kid, they just that just wasn't an option. And um, growing up on a farm in rural Australia, the accessibility options as far as like, like here in Melbourne, there are lots of great guitar shops. You know, I can go into Deluxe Guitar or something and, you know, they've got everything. But growing up in rural Australia, there wasn't really a, a, a large breadth of options as far as uh, guitar shops. So imagine like, 
think Florida is the, probably the nearest kind of general equivalent of like Louisiana or Alabama or something like that. Mm-hmm. Somewhere with, well, where I grew up had like crocodiles and it was hot. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> like Louisiana, but with crocodiles instead of alligators. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, where I'm from is just rednecks and crocodiles. That's that's all there is there. It sounds marvelous. Um, oh, it's got its good points. Yep. <laughs> I escaped. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that kind of, um, growing up, I, finding acoustic instruments and stuff, uh, you know, I, I had, I tried violin and piano, but that wasn't really for me. And then, um, really it was when I discovered, um, I got this synth. Um, this guy didn't really know what it was. Um, and I bought this synth, this Roland MKS-7 for $10. Nice. Um, yeah, which is this very interesting analog synth, which is, um... It's a rack mount version of the Journo. Okay. Heard of the Journo? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And and one of their drum machines, the um, TR seven hundred seven, I think is, it's it's them stuck together basically. Cool. In a rack mount one, um, and rack mount synths are probably not the greatest thing for a kid to start with, because they require like additional things because they don't have a keyboard or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But hey, but it ten, was ten bucks. Yeah, ten bucks is ten bucks. Exactly. <laughs> um, and it meant you know I could. Um, start getting into making electronic music um, and I could open this thing up and see how it worked and it was all like weird and analog vintage synthy stuff um, and so that's when I really started getting into that and um, you know, the internet had started becoming a thing around then um, and so I could find stuff online about uh, about coding and then about making my own instruments um, and things like, I don't know if you've ever heard of trackers? No. It's like proto-samplers, basically, but for computers. Like, they're chopping up little tiny bits of audio. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, yeah, like, little... So, playing with samplers and stuff like that, and then kind of expanded... So, I started to expand into that. And then at university, um, I did um, um, computer music. So, I started to do research into... Um, well. Early on, I did, like, some samplers, and then I did, um, for my research topic, my thesis kind of stuff, I did um, sound synthesis of, um, of drums, actually. So, research physical modeling of drums at uni. Um, and, yeah, that kind of... I'd always been focusing on how to make... I was like, there's cool ways to do sound, but there's limited ways with a computer or with electronic instruments to interact with sound. Okay. So, like, the UI was... I, I, I felt like the UI was often the issue. Or, like the, like, the interface to the thing. So, I got into making lots of synths that were based on um, continuous pitch control. So, instead of just doing, like, a piano-style input where you've got, you know, here is C, I wanted to be able to do kind of more double bass, because I, I play double bass now as well. Oh, um, you finally did so achieve I'm, the dream. I finally did, play, and then I realized it's really hard. So I mostly play electric bass. <laughs> it is that looks like a very difficult instrument. I have to say, it's so much harder than every time I go. Like I play double bass. I play my double bass for a bit. I'm like, yep, all right. I'm I'm playing on a hard mode now. I can go back to the electric bass. <laughs> Seriously, um, and yeah. So um, yeah. So but the, the, the cool thing about something like double bass is that fretless, continuous pitch kind of stuff. But you can also do that with a guitar just by bending. 
Right, but most right. synths don't really encourage that kind of style of play. Trying to trying to slide between just even notes that are next to each other it, it is quite difficult. Like oh, you might be able to, you know. Yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. Sliding between, say you're on playing on a piano, try, trying to slide between a C and a D, you might be able to do that with the pitch wheel. Mm-hmm. But it's hard because, you know, getting a particular interval with the pitch wheel is hard. Yeah, you definitely can't and do any it longer a slides. regular piano. Exactly. So, um, and even most synths don't let you have that kind of control. Um, and doing vibrato, well, that's just, you know, not an easy thing to do on those kind of things. And that's why I, I started getting into things that let, you know, designing MIDI controllers and synths that let you do that kind of interaction. Oh, cool. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. This is um, making more sense to me now. Yeah. So um, that was kind of a, a big thing for a long time, trying to get that kind of expressive control through synthesis. Because I, I like... I've always been into acoustic instruments, like like double bass and guitar and, and acoustic guitar and stuff. But I've always liked some of the sounds you could get with other ones. Mm-hmm. But I found the interaction with synths kind of frustrating. And so I always wanted to kind of try and bridge those gaps a bit. And so what what um, did you what did you do to make that? I can't even imagine how you would make that work. Like, how did you do that? <laughs> Well, so I finished finished doing a little bit of research, you know, my research stuff at university, and then I had to, you know, find a job that actually paid money for quite a long time. Ugh. And then those are the worst. Yeah, I know. And then I luckily escaped from that, um, and then started yeah doing research. It was starting like building my own weird synthy stuff, um, and. Luckily, there was some kind of new tech that I could try out for a little while on that, and I made some weird um, synths using virtual reality. Okay. Um, and the idea of that is, like, um, as you moved around in the space, the controllers would vibrate and tell you where the frets were. Oh, wow. Okay. That's crazy. And then you had these five dimensions of control because it could, you know, it started to get pretty weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say that sounds weird, but it also sounds incredibly fun. It was an interesting thing, yeah, yeah. So I tried that kind of stuff for a while, and then um, you might have—I think you—you you saw Expressive, right? The, yes, the big that's, weird foot controller. That's the first thing I ever saw before we had met. I saw—I think you did. Uh, maybe you did a Kickstarter or something. I can't remember. Uh, mm. I don't remember. Maybe I'm making that up. But I thought I saw. No, something. no, I, I did. Okay, I did a Kickstarter for, for Expressive, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's where I first saw um, your work. That's the very first thing I saw. Yeah, so that was... Because um, I, I, I did that because I really wanted to gauge the interest of anybody who was actually interested in this crazy thing I was doing. Because um, I'd been using... Uh, I, play, yeah, I play guitar and bass and, and a little bit of other things, drums and synths. But um, I'd been playing uh, bass with this um, keys player and she's she's super cool and does lots of synthy stuff. And I was trying to make my bass um, sound a bit more synthy. So I was running through lots of um, pedals. Um, and I was also running through a uh, computer and launching other things with that. And I was using an Ableton Push, if you're familiar with the, the thing with all the squares. Mm-hmm. So I had one of them just like standing next to me, and I'd occasionally like play a longer note, <laughs> take my hand off the instrument and press something on the push and then get back to the note or like turn a knob 
would that like trigger a sample on the push? Is that what it would do? Or what was it? I'm not really yeah, sure. Yeah, or, or change effects or like oh, okay. sometimes oh, yeah. I want to change, like I do want to do a filter sweep or something like that or switch to the next patch or something like that. Got ya, got ya. And I want to just be able to control all of my effects easily um, with something with lots of knobs on it. I want to be able to turn knobs um, of easily. Um, but then I really wanted something where I could, because an expression pedal, like, cool, it's cool, but you can only control, you know, one thing at a time easily with most of them. Um, and so that's where the idea for the um, expressive came in. Because I wanted to be able to launch all of these things easily and control them all from my feet. Yeah, why don't you explain to people what that is for people who aren't familiar? Uh, it's a weird, stupid idea. Um, but <laughs> it's a um, multi-dimensional foot controller. So it's basically it's a giant pressure-sensitive thing um, that you put a piece of paper in. That you can so you can draw on which areas you want to do which things. So imagine it's an X, Y, and Z, or Z pad. Mm -hmm. um, but you can divide that into lots of little tiny pads. So you can have some of them as being triggers, and some of them you can be um, you know, multi-dimensional, three-dimension expression controls. Um, it's pretty so crazy. you might want to connect up. Yeah, you might want to connect that up to a delay and then have one dimension be controlling um, feedback while the other one controls the level of the repeats. And then you could, as you push in more, you could make that control the tone of the repeats or something like that. Yeah, so it's a, it's, it's, is it like plexiglass? Is that what it's made out of? Um, it's made out of a um, abrasion resistant polycarbonate. Okay. So, yeah, it's, a, it's um, a, the plexiglass is a little softer. So. Okay. Got you. So, yeah, it's a unit so that it's on the floor, everybody. So, hmm. if you haven't seen this, it's, it's about the size of, of a, I don't know. Um, the regular size pedal train, roughly. I don't know exactly what size it is, but um, so it's Full like a little, paper. Yeah, it's a little. Or A three for countries. Yeah, so it's um, it's like a little pedal board that lets you control many more things than your expression pedal can do. It's really cool. You guys should look it up. But anyway, I just wanted to get that out of the way because yeah, so I it a bit more and people would be confused. Yeah, so I started making those. Um, which were like, because I saw that there was like this this gap. There was this thing that I needed for me, um, and then I realized that um, maybe somebody else might want this thing as well. Because mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I was just you know I was playing this stuff with my friend, and then I was like, oh, I really want to I, I want to buy something that does this thing. And then I looked around, there wasn't really something that did what I wanted. And then I was just like, ah, oh, somebody should make this. And then I was like, if only there was some kind of you know. Weird instrumenty designer person that could make stuff, and I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> that's me, isn't it? All right, <laughs> so time to get to work. So, so yeah, then I, I made those ones, but um, there were some problems from a practical selling them point of view. Um, they're big, and I live in Australia, um, and most of the people that wanted them were weirdly either in America or Japan. That. That lines up with what I would have guessed. That makes sense. Yeah. People really just wanted them for controlling an Axe FX. I really thought, like, people that had Chase Bliss pedals and Mara stuff and things like that would want them as well, but no, it was people who had an Axe FX. Um, so, and it was incredibly expensive to post them. 
Yes. And they were also yeah, very time it. consuming to make. Because I had to like, because working with all the, they're, they're all composite materials, like polycarbonate. And then I had this, um, it's called aluminium ACM, aluminium composite material. The, okay. the rest of it is made out of this, this ACM stuff. Um, and composites are kind of hard to work as far as like cutting them and routing them and stuff like that. And so I was cutting and routing these big sheets of this stuff and it's, it's time consuming. And like, cause if you, if you use the, if you use the router too fast, if you have it, you know, it'll melt. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, all it's all, you know, it, it's, it's time consuming and fiddly. Um, An expensive so, to ship. That yeah. That all makes sense. So they, they they just had like no margin whatsoever. So it was fun, but then I was like, yeah, <laughs> this is problematic in some ways. <laughs> right. And they were also a bit like, they were also pretty weird. So, um, and that's where I was like, okay, I, I, I can, I can do DSP stuff. Um, and I saw this kind of gap for something that would, um, give me all the features and control um, of some of the environments I've been using for sounds, but in a more comfortable format. Because, um, yeah, I've been using some really cool pedals and um, these things called like visual modular synthesis environments, like Pure Data or Max MSP and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. which are all kind of synthesis environments for computers. Um, I just barely started learning about that stuff, so you're way ahead of me at this point. <laughs> well, it, it basically... Um, there are environments where you can kind of visually program. You, 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 connect, you have a bunch of modules and you connect them up. Um, and it's just like having a bunch of pedals that do different stuff. Just some of them are like very weird stuff. Right. Um, it overlaps really well for actual physical modular synthesis, like Eurorack. Um, and the visual ones, um, I used them because, you know, Eurorack costs cash and, you know, visual the visual stuff didn't. So I started doing that, like, a long, long time ago, like 20 years ago with the visual things. Um, and so I've been using that kind of stuff, but I, I also like some of the cool things you could do with some some pedals, but I found that once I got to the more interesting pedals, um, sometimes the interface got really difficult for me to use. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had to remember what preset 36 was um, or that I had to press this button and turn this knob to get something to happen. Um, Cause I was like, uh, I, I still have them and love the um, Ecolution. Oh yeah. Electronic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but for me, some of the more deep options on some of the more advanced pedals start to become uh, like they require you to remember things from the manual to navigate easily. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you have to press this button and turn this thing on the big, on the air pollution. Yeah. Sometimes you have to sure. press like two buttons and turn another knob. Yeah. And, it can get complicated really fast. Trying to remember yeah. all that in a performance setting can be very difficult. Yeah, so, um, and especially with them, um, there, there were some pedals that I was trying that I, I loved that had, um, like, things like sequences and things like that in them. Um, but the interface was super confusing. If you're trying to do, like, a knob-based interface for that kind of thing and you have, like, 
alternative functions on things. So then you turn the knob, and then when you're out of the alternative function mode, the knob isn't where it says it is anymore. Right. Oh, right, and right, right. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and the same with presets. If you've got a knob-based pedal, like you know, most of the any like most MIDI-based most pedals that support MIDI, if you've got one that's got knobs, um, as soon as you load a preset, the knobs don't mean anything anymore. Like they don't show mm-hmm. you what the current information is, unless they're like ones that light up or something. So um, yeah, that was actually one of the driving things. It's funny that we're talking about this because you you went one way, which we'll get into. But Joel, why the Automatone series come out? He was like, I was tired of like changing presets and not knowing where everything was. So the uh, motorized faders were the solution he went to, which is pretty awesome. But I think yours is yeah. a, a little more practical. Ah, uh, I mean, it has good points and bad points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I mean, because uh, of my because uh, I'd made synths a lot in the past, and I'd done like um, computer synth kind of stuff, like you know, DST plugins and stuff like that. Um, it, it seemed logical for me to um, kind of create get some of that technology across to to pedals, and start to get kind of. Uh, a screen-based, a touchscreen-based interface onto a pedal. Just so I could have that kind of thing like, oh, I want to have a parametric EQ. I actually want to see what it does. Like, I want to have a visual representation of that parametric EQ. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my one of my previous products, um, the synth stuff, um, came bundled with Bitwig, um, which is this um, DAW created by a bunch of guys that left Ableton. Um, oh, okay. And they, they, their interface is just really pretty, and um, like a lot of DAWs, um, just like try and make things look vintage and hey, this is how it should look from the '60s. Kind of, they're, they're stuck in that kind of I, I, ideas and stuff. Um, and Fairweek obviously has a little bit of that, but they have a lot of like, hey, we can do stuff totally different. We're on a computer. We have got a touchscreen, and. Um, yeah, I, I I tried that um, uh, at NAM on a um, on the Surface, the Microsoft touchscreen thing. Oh, okay, yeah. And it was just really nice. I'm like, yeah, this interface is really good and it works really well, and you can use proper like. And that was when I was like, hmm, okay, you can do cool stuff with touch to audio stuff. Because I'd seen like like uh, iPad apps and stuff like that, but it wasn't kind of the same level of. Uh, depth as seeing Bitwig in this kind of environment and then I was like hmm okay there are some good visual ideas because yeah they've done some great stuff making really things look really cool and have like deep interaction and I was like yeah okay I I want that in a pedal form I want to have something portable that sounds great um, and actually like is really easy to use like gives me the power without making things confusing. So that was kind of why so you, I started doing this stuff. So yeah, you had two products by the time we started talking. So which one came first? Uh, of the pedals? Yeah. Um, so I think the first time you saw my stuff, I had both the prototypes of the early ones. Um, yeah, I think so. 
so I had um, Digit, and Digit came out. I actually started working on one of the other ones that, that never launched and might not ever launch first. So I showed both of them at the same time. <laughs> Digit actually came out second from the other one because um, I realized there was a bunch of stuff that was really hard on the other one and was going to take me a long time to work out. Okay. Um, okay. Because I, so there was, yeah, there was two. There, originally I started working on this one called Morph as well. Where the That's signal part... I'm trying to remember the name. I'm, I remember Digit. I couldn't remember what the other one was. Yeah, and Morph so was more. um, all analog signal path and based on... Um, uh, so it had uh, a gain kind of stage and then a, um, a filter. All kind of... A, a collection of um, synth filters in it. Mm-hmm. All analog synth filters. Um and then this touchscreen control. But I realized pretty quickly that that having the... Um, I, there was some cute stuff to having the analog with digital control thing, but it meant it was very, very limiting. Because I didn't right. have the freedom to just do anything I wanted and add anything I wanted on. And I realized I just have, with a modern kind of um, setup, a modern-style DSP thing, chips, um, well, modern-style computing... You just have so much processor power that I felt like I could just do a lot more with having the pure digital approach. Um, So that's why I just went, "Mm, actually, Digit is the one that's getting the most attention. Digit is the one that um, is much more interesting. So then I focused on Digit, and then Bebo came later. That's the one I showed just at the start of this year. Okay, gotcha. Sorry. So yeah, I re- I remember Morph, and I remember th- I remember thinking just because I myself not myself directly, but I'm part of a group of people in the middle of a very heavy analog project right now that of hmm. course has been delayed d- due to coronavirus, like everything else. But uh, I remember thinking back to the Morph, and I was like, how is he, how is he gonna do all that in an analog form when we're struggling to do just this one one style of effect? with lots of control um we're gonna we've get we're almost there but like i was like man i i mean loki i don't know how he's gonna do that that's so that was you were trying it was so ambitious (laughs) yeah i hope it can come out someday though that would be cool well all the things that were in it did work fine um like compressor filter tone shaping and gain Mm -hmm. um I can't remember if there was anything else. Oh, uh, well, things like tremolo, tremolo and stuff like that, because that's easy, you know, that kind of format. Yeah. Um, all of that worked fine. Um, it's just you couldn't... The main problem was that it couldn't do some of the, the weirder things that I wanted it to be able to do with it. Um, you couldn't... The way I'd set up the... Um, yeah, because if you're trying to control analog stuff from digital things, there's kind of there's a couple of options. Um, you can use what are called backtrolls, mm-hmm. like optical to light things, which is like what the Chase Bliss stuff does. Um, but that has some p- problems with linearity. So you'll put in a particular signal, and if you ha- you know have ten different pedals, they won't all get the same result because it's very hard to make yes. linear ones of these backtrolls, and 
as yeah, you go from, the uh, quality on them is spotty sometimes yeah and as you go from one end of the mm. knob one end of the control range of the vectoral to the other um it's not a smooth clean kind of linear transition it's kind of random because mm-hmm. it's like a brightness of light kind of thing and it's 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 hard to turn that from what it gives out to actually being linear yeah so let's ex- explain that to some people that some people may not be familiar with that so basically it's a resistor that is controlled by the brightness of an led in a controlled environment and that's that's what translates uh i actually know this this is weird nice yeah, yeah. so that's uh, yeah Voltage just from dealing with it yeah yeah exactly because if like certain things you can use digital pots right mm. but you can't control everything with digital pots because those while they may feel they may feel smooth they're actually just got little tiny divisions i don't remember how many divisions they have but yes uh, so the what, what we ran into is is noise when we tried to you get zipper noise yeah that's the key problem um, with digipots because there's some um, non there's non-linearities when they change because there'll be um, there's two problems you kind of get um, which was a big problem for me with uh, with um, morph um, is that you get they they're briefly disconnected from the system before they go up to they connect to the next one. Mm-hmm. So you get like basically this transition noise when they're changing between the different resistor states. Um, so yeah, that's a think little of it like more like a like I, for the listeners, I was thinking if you think of it more like f- uh, flipping a switch rather than actually. Exactly. Smoothly turning up a potentiometer. Yeah, so it's more like that. The way they're actually kind of basically built is that there are a ton of little resistors and a little kind of clicky switch that chooses which resistor is on. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, and it can work for something. Yeah, yeah. But, if you don't need to change smoothly and quickly, like if you don't need to modulate that parameter, then they're totally fine. Um, but as you want to be able to, as you try and say, if you want to connect up something uh, like a like a low frequency oscillator or something so you can do a swell or a tremolo or something then you start to get into serious problems um yeah the they're all yeah there's a couple of problems with with digipots as a solution so you really have to start getting into um vcas voltage controlled amplifiers and that's what most vintage synths and stuff will use because you know all the vintage synths are digitally controlled analog if they've got MIDI kind of support. Right. So um, you, you'll see that they're all using um, VCAs, voltage controlled amplifiers. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's an option as well. So that's that's the design I started to move to after I realized that there was a problem with Digipots for Memorph and I started to move to everything <laughs> being um, VCAs, um, which is quite... It, it, it's a... It's a pretty straightforward design then for all of that stuff. Um, but the problem was it, there's just no way to make it at, as flexible as a, as a digital system. Right. Um, right, right, right. There's just, there's just some hard physical limitations with analog gear. It's just the nature of it being analog. Yeah, because, you know, if you've got a fixed signal flow, then it's just it is a fixed signal flow. And if you want to start throwing mixes in there, it starts to become quite complicated. Um, whereas that that's kind of why I really wanted to be able to do the kind of things you can do now with, with Digit. 
Um, so let's let's go. Let's switch modes. Let's go into Digit and explain to people what Digit is. So we know what Morph is. What's Digit? So Morph is also the thing that never came out and probably won't ever come out. <laughs> right, right. We spent a lot of time on the thing that probably won't come out. But anyway, I just remember it very well. Yeah. So um, um, yeah. So uh, Digit's a, a visual modular environment. Um, so primarily focused on time-based effects, so like delay and reverb, but able to do lots of other stuff. Um, so it brings all of the power of something like Eurorack kind of synthesis or um, all those visual modular environments I, I talked about, but makes them kind of easy to use and fits in a pedal format. So you can drop down a bunch of modules, like you can put in a delay, um, and the nice thing is because it's got, it's using a, a modern processor kind of chip. It's not using something like a analog device, shark or something like that. Um, it means that there's, it's got a lot of processor power to add lots of modules. Like somebody just did a, showed a patch the other day that was running 26 delays and a, a few, few compressors and some pans and stuff like that. Um, so you can add all of these modules down and then route them any way you want. And then you can route other things, contr internal control signals that control those modules. So you can drop in um, an envelope follower and then you can make one of the delays a ducking delay if you want. Or you can put in a... And you can, yeah. and you can run them together. Like, do you think of it like as for, you know, for us regular guitar folks, like you think of it like assembling a pedal board on, like on the screen. Is that an accurate way to say it? Yeah. But then the cool thing is you can also um, think of it as a pedal board where you have, you can split them out and you can have like wet, dry, wet kind of rigs if you want. And because you can run each of, so because you can run each of the effects in, in pedal terms in kill dry, it means you can easily put effects on um, these individual signal parts. So uh, mm -hmm. one of the cool things that's very easy to do is you've got this um, parametric EQ. So you drop one of them in, and then the signal from that par parametric EQ, you route that to the reverb. So then you're controlling the signal that goes to the reverb, but your dry isn't affected by either of those. So, oh, okay. so you can drop out gotcha. all the bass that's going to the reverb, and that's basically that's the normal Abbey Road reverb technique of dropping out all of the bass going to the reverb. So you can think of it, you can do all of these kind of studio techniques very easily, drop those out, and then that's going to the reverb, but you could also have another effect that's just on the tail of the reverb. You might want to drop a phaser or something on just those, those ones. Um, and the same with the delay. It's very, it's very cool. There's a lot of, there's a lot of flexibility. Is there, it, am I remembering correctly or is there IRs that, that you can upload to this as well? Or am I making that up in my head? Yeah. So that's one of the, the kind of different and unique things about, um, digit is that, um, so lots of, lots of gear supports, um, impulse responses, IRs. Uh, for cab cabinet simulation, 
Um, and the idea there is that you can, you know, capture the tone of a cabinet and then run things through it and have it do that. Um, but that technique, which is called convolution, is actually a much broader technique, and you can capture other stuff with that. The difference is IRs are usually, for cabs, are usually really, really short. They're like 100 milliseconds, 200 milliseconds, something like that. Um, but if, you're, if you can capture a long IR and play that back, which requires ludicrous amounts of processor power, um, then you can do reverbs with, with convolution, which is what Digit can do. Um, and that's a pretty popular studio technique nowadays in, that you would do in a DAW or something. So you can capture real spaces yourself and then put them in the pedal. So you, know, you can just walk into the middle of the room, put down a, like the little zoom recorders, walk back a bit, pop a balloon, and then you've got that real space and you can put it in the pedal. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and you can capture real gear. You can capture any gear you want. If there's a cool sounding, um, you know, spring reverb tank that you like, you can capture that and put it in the pedal. Um, and so, yeah, you can just run around how, grabbing How things. would you do that? Would that be the same same way? Or, but then you would be capturing. It's easier, actually. How do you do that? <laughs> yeah, that, that's much easier. So because you don't need to be a bit worry about mics and impulse responses and anything. There, for both of them, there's two ways to do it. You can either do what's called an um, you can either use what's called an impulse, which is like a popping a balloon or firing a starting gun or whacking things together, or you can do a sine sweep where you have a speaker and sweeps through the whole frequency spectrum. But then you have to do something to convert that back into the, the short version. So is there an advantage one way or another? Yeah, sign sweeps, um, because they take you get more time, you're more likely to get the whole frequencies equally excited and stuff. Basically, yeah. So gotcha. sign sweeps usually give you a so bit more, more accurate. Yeah, but they're also more effort, so it's a trade-off either way. Um Got you. And it depends kind of how big the space is, whether you need, whether you can excite it correctly with a sine sweep or with a impulse. Like if it's really, really big, you might have to yeah. be very, very loud. Um, but so for, for the case of hardware, then you can either just send in an impulse, but that's often a bit more difficult in the, you know, plugging things in and getting a sound out. So usually, if you've got something like a spring reverb, say you've got the um, the Fender external tank, if you if you know those ones. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So you got a you know you three knob Fender tank. Um, in that case, you'd plug um, the output of your audio interface into it, uh, and you plug its output into the audio interface, and then you just run a sine sweep through it. Oh, okay. Um, just from. You can generate it with a DAW or yeah. something. I've never tried to. Yeah, do yeah, this yeah. Before. So lots of doors like um, have a built-in tool for doing that, even because it's a pretty common thing to do. Or that, or there's other plugins that let you do that, and then you just grab the convolution out of them. Um, like Logic has a built-in tool for, um, uh, which is called I don't actually use Logic, but I think it's called Space Designer. Yeah, pretty sure it's called Space Designer, which they see so you um, do this like you can just capture stuff in in there. Um, so that that's that's fascinating. Yeah, so you can just capture any gear you want. If you want to capture the like, so reverbs you need quite long, well, by these terms, relatively long files. But if you want to capture the sound of a mixing desk, 
Like if you've got a, a Neve Pre or something and you want to capture that particular EQ, you can capture that as well. And that's quite a short file That's because that's just basically like a cab. I did not know that you could do this. I knew I knew that you could with spaces and cabs, but I didn't know you could do it with anything. Uh, that's fascinating to me. When I say or almost yeah, so um, you can't you can only do it with what's called linear stuff, um, which is actually a pretty broad collection of things. But you can't do it with something like a compressor. Okay, that makes because sense. the compressor because it's a like yeah, it reacts to the input and changes what it's doing. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. There, there are complicated ways what to do it? that, but the, you can actually capture them if you do really complicated things, but the really complicated, that digit doesn't support the super complicated thing to do that. It feels like, you know, if it's super complicated, unless it's some unobtainium thing, it'd be easier just to buy the compressor. <laughs> yeah, and I <laughs> Most mean... Most likely. I'm slightly biased, but I mean, the, the compressors that are built into to the Bebo firmware are, are fine anyway. So, you know, if you want a particular tone, you can get the tone and stick them together. Tell me about that product. I don't know. I don't think I know anything about that one. One crazy thing about the IRs before we forget about that. Oh, okay. Um, in Digit, you have the, um, you have IRs for particular tape as well, for particular tape recording machines and particular tape. Oh, cool. So... If you want your um, tape delays to sound extra tapey, you can put them through the impulse response of a Studer machine. That's fantastic. And you can, you know, and that machine can be. Uh, there's different IRs at different um, like tape speeds and stuff like that. And if you've got a particular tape that you like the sound of, you can capture that yourself, and then you can make your. And then you know you have your delay. You just have a clean digital delay or something, or you can have something with a bit of warble, whatever you want. And then you can just put the output, the repeats of that delay through this um, IR. That's or maybe cool. you can chuck it in the, the feedback loop or something like that. Depending on which way, you you know, whether you want it to build up on the other repeats or what. So this really is, it's less of a guitar pedal than it is just a, almost like a, I would almost view it as another studio tool. Um, for, I mean, for all the things that it can do. I think it's kind of... Uh, so, I mean, if you're thinking about studio tools, then, I mean, you can already do, not to downplay my thingy, but, like, um, <laughs> in if you're in, like, Ableton or something, you've got um, Max for Live already built in there. You've got this visual environment. If you're in Bitwig, you've got the grid already in there. Um, you've got... All, you've, and you've got all these access to all these plugins and stuff like that. Really, what what Digit is doing is bringing all of these tools that have been in the studio or, or onto your pedal board instead of out into the real world. Yeah. So instead of just being like, I mean, there's lots of like really cool stuff that's um, you know pedals we've had since the '60s, and, and I, I enjoy some of those myself. I, I like a good you know germanium fuzz or something. Um. I'm all about the Germanium game. Um, but the um, I wanted to bring stuff that was stuff that wasn't possible until very recently into a pedal board. Um, like, uh, somebody asked, hey, is Digit able to do this thing that this 80s rack could do? And I was like, 
Digit has more processing power than any computer that existed on Earth in the 80s. <laughs> like all, all the so, giant yeah, supercomputers, like cray supercomputers from the late 80s and early 90s, they are considerably less powerful than a single core of Digit. So, yeah, yeah, it can do that. <laughs> oh, you can do that and do 100 other things at the same time. Yeah, you know, of course. <laughs> um, right. Well, so they said like the first iPhone was more powerful than whatever sent people to the moon. Oh, yeah, considerably. If we went to the moon. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, when you think of the computational power that lots of stuff has nowadays, if you think of like, you know, a good, I think it would be like a cool computer synth environment from the 80s or something. If you think of like the Atari ST or something, and you know, musicians making audio and that kind of stuff, they're less powerful than your fridge is now. <laughs> Maybe not my fridge. <laughs> I don't think my fridge has a computer well, in it, but, but my oven. But, you know. <laughs> It does. Yeah, yeah. Well, any modern gear has like some kind of little, you know, ARM processor or something in it, and you know, the cars, the brakes in your car or something have have like tons of little computers in them. Mm-hmm. Well, not mine. I don't own a car, but you know, right. <laughs> that kind of thing. Some people, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. My my bicycle does definitely not. <laughs> if, if my bicycle's computing power is not very high. <laughs> yeah, but so that's kind of the. Um, kind of one of the ideas. So I, I thought more to bring that kind of those kind of things. But the the nice thing with convolution is cause it's just really capturing that real space, they just like automatically sound good. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's a really easy way. Um because tuning like an algorithmic reverb is hard is to make an algorithmic reverb sound really good. So it's just kind of if you hear a space that sounds good, you're like, cool. Well that one's good. Done. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But the problem with, I'm oh, sorry. No, I was gonna say, and and some sp- spaces do just have a, a thing, you know, whether that's your bathroom oh, yeah. or some big empty hall somewhere or wherever. And uh, yeah, in my last job, you know, like I, I was wanted to, you never could because it was a, a hazardous environment that you had to go through all these steps in order to enter. But we would empty out these fuel tanks occasionally for servicing, and. Hmm. I always like would stand at the entrance and like clap and be like, man, I would love to grab that. but I can't go in there. <laughs> I mean, I could have, but it was yeah. like a process, uh, you know, like that just wasn't worth the time. But anyway, man, yeah. Grab a, grab on a little zoom recorders or something and throw one of them in there mm-hmm. and then been, send me the file. <laughs> it would have been crazy sounding. It would have been crazy sounding. There'd yeah, be huge I, fuel um, tanks that were just, Completely empty. They said it was the craziest reverbs I've ever heard. Yeah, that that'd be great. And yeah, you could grab that and put it into the pedal. Um, I um, alas, this was a very long time ago, and I didn't have a recorder with me. But I um, I went to this um, they call caravanous eyes. They're like um, ancient Silk Road um, buildings from like uh, like a thousand years ago or something like that um, in Uzbekistan. Mm-hmm. I was wandering through the like the desert in Uzbekistan, and I went to this place, and I was staying there. And I went there for lunch, and for I went to this place for breakfast because uh, I was staying there. And um, there was nobody else there at the time, like because I got there a little bit early. And it was this amazing domed roof kind of Islamic architecture. So the whole roof was like all domed in the eating area. Mm-hmm. And I just got there, and then I like heard my footsteps, and I'm like, "This is so good." I'm just going to go run and grab an instrument briefly <laughs> before anybody turns up. And I'm just going to be like, 
I'm like, what well, can I grab quickly? Uh, I'll grab a harmonica. And I'm like, this is the best harmonica has ever sounded. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, it was fun. I kind of had a similar thing, not in a crazy space like that, but in a, there was this Airbnb that's not super close to us, but it's still in Oregon that we like to stay at occasionally. And they have old these old silos that are abandoned with, this, oh, yeah. with a, do, a domed roof, you know, and then like there was like a panel or two missing, too. But like the lady that owned it was like, oh, yeah, my husband, you know, before he passed away, liked to go out there and, and sing into the silos because it sounded really nice. And of course, I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> and so like I took my like acoustic guitar out there and like strummed a little bit and was like oh man this does sound really good and like i sang a little bit into it i'm like even i sound good singing into this thing this is tremendous this is so cool but some spaces yeah, got that magic yeah the right reverb and then you know now if you if you go to one of those spaces you can just capture it and put it in the pedal that's so cool love it but sorry i, I sidetracked from um from bebo oh yeah let's get into that real quick we're we're getting down to to crunch time here so let's get into that <laughs> Uh, so basically, Digit does all the weird um, delay reverby stuff. So it's got tons of different delays and uh, convolution and algorithmic reverbs and stuff. So as I said, you know, convolution is great when you want to have when you capture a real space and you want it to sound exactly like that. But often you want something that doesn't sound exactly like the real thing. You want like a pitch shifting reverb, or you want you know uh, something that does something totally um, unrealistic. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Digit ha um, has algorithmic reverbs and stuff like that as well, and weird delays and stuff like that. But um, that whole kind of idea of connecting controls to things, that's very much the same as the Eurorack kind of environments, modular synthesis environments. Um, and so Bebo is a modulation pedal. And it does all the things that something like uh, the big boss delay, uh, boss modulations like the MD500 okay. or, or the Mobius or something like that would do. Those kind of conventional kind of things. But the idea is to also allow it to do um, everything a Eurorack kind of modular synth, synth environment would do as well. So if you want to do weird generative music, you know, where you've got synth voices and stuff like that, then you can do it in there. Um, if you want uh, weird um, bit mangling and that kind of thing, it does all that kind of stuff. Um, it's got a very fancy rotary um, because the rotary uses physical modeling. Oh. So it actually mo models how the whole thing rotates and how the sound bounces off the cabinet and where the rotor stops and things like that and how long it takes to speed up and, you know, where the horn and the drum is, you know, all those kind of things. Was that all um, a, um, how do you do that? Is that all an al algorithmic calculation? Like, did you, you have to physically measure the thing or how did, how do you do that? Um, so it, it uses, so my research at, at university was on physical modeling, but this is actually using somebody else's, um, magic research. Um, there's this, uh, really amazing, um, computer music guy at Stanford, um, Julius Smith, and he invented this technique called, called physical modeling. And he, he actually took a bunch of measurements um, on uh, this 
on a, a rotary on a Leslie and then measured all of its kind of acoustic properties from different places with different mics and stuff. Um, so there's a bunch of data around that. And then, you know, there, there's there, um, this uh, other computer music guy did some algorithms about how to how to produce that. So there's just like there's good papers and stuff around how to make that all. Um, so, yeah, there, there is basically a complicated algorithm for the physics of it, how the waves move. This is big brain stuff. stuff. This is a way out of my league. <laughs> the basic idea is it makes a really cool rotary with lots of controls. Right. So I've got two different modules in Bebo for one of them is already in there and one of them is coming out in the very near future. It already works, but um, I'm improving the UI for it. Um, so the basic one has about six controls, I think, and the advanced one has about 26. Oh, wow. Um, so you can control all the different physical bits of the of the rotary, like the mic positions, but also, you know, what the maximum speeds different things can do, and you know uh, how much leaks between the top and the bottom, all those kind of things. So, um, but the the idea with all of this um, complicated control stuff is that you know you can send something to modulate something else, and then you can feed that into something else, and you can maybe you can have things that happen at random. You can have all these different ways of filtering things. So everything you could do with a big modular system, you can do in Bebo. So, you know, that's yeah. that's the idea to have this kind of synthesis environment and this really powerful modulation environment. So, you know, so if you want to be flanging and phasing. So, so I was going to say, is Bebo more intended for, like, a guitar player or somebody that's going to plug into it? Or is it somebody that, like wants to condense down a Eurorack rig, or, or is it both? Both. So uh, the everything I implemented first was the stuff that a Mobius or a MD500 or something could do. Okay, gotcha. I wanted it to be super easy for you to just be like, I'm going to add a rotary. Cool. That's in. Done. Don't need anything else. And the interface is nice and easy to use. And then if you want to um, put in an auto swell, um, like a slow gear or something, that kind of thing, just drop that in. And then you can also make like a full, you can use individual effects, or if you want, you can make a whole kind of modulation pedal board in there. Because maybe you want, you know, a phaser just on your delay, because or just on the repeats of your reverb or something like that. No, the tail of your reverb. Because I, you know, I tried a few of those things and found them fun. Or like uh, on bass, I often, if I'm in a Joy Division mood, which I often am, um, I want to have, um, you know, a chorus and um, a delay on the bass to get those, you know, 80s kind of sound. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I probably might want to chuck a compressor in there as well. So you can do all that kind of, you know, a normal conventional stuff that any guitarist would want to do. But then if you decide, hey, actually, you know, I want a weird synth voice here as well. Um, or I want a bit mangler on my delays. Or I want to go into crazy granular land. Because we've got a very powerful granular synthesis environment. So you can have, like, you know, you strum stuff and weird things happen. Um, you know, you have well, beat repeating. That's my favorite. It's when weird stuff happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My, yeah. My whole goal. So you have all these kind of pitch shifting and... Um, full kind of uh, granular kind of synthesis environment. So 
you know, you can kind of have stuff that creates big evolving sound landscapes very easily. And that I think there's obviously that's popular with the Eurorack crowd, but I think there's a big group of people who are starting to get into that kind of thing uh, for guitars as well. And it's, um, oh, well, Bebo and Digit actually, they share, share some modules and you can swap the firmware between the two. Oh, free. really? You can, load, you can load either firmware onto either pedal. Um, there is things like micro loopers on there already and things like that. So I think that granular and micro looping stuff is starting to become more and more popular. Like you see it with the um, the Chase Bliss stuff with the Mood or the Blooper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're getting into that granular micro looping and then you see stuff like the um, Red Panda particle and stuff like that. So I, I think there is a, a desire for the Eurorecky kind of people, but also to have something portable, easy to use that you can have presets on. But there's also a desire for guitarists to have a bigger range of colors than was around previously. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my whole thing. That's why I spend all this time out here making weird bleep bloop sounds with all these weird pedals that I have. So you're right. There's definitely people who like to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, and like if you've um, if you've got an environment where you can create all of these weird sounds easily and in a nice visual way and then share those presets and stuff. You know, that's, I like, um, I just got back like a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, um, this, uh, guy, Leon Todd, he did a bunch of nice videos with, um, with, um, the pedal with Digit and the new Bebo stuff. And he made a giant pile of presets and some of them were for like really metal tones, but direct. Cause it's got, um, Digit has some built-in um, power amps and stuff for running direct. But I never really tried to get interesting, like, metal kind of tones out of them because that's not a style I play. But, yeah, he came back and he had all of these, like, metal presets using the Bitmangler as well to get, oh, like, really crunchy, really, like, um, much more modern kind of distortion tones. So you get, like, yeah, very aggressive Bitmangled tones that have, like, really interesting decay they start to do weird things when the, uh, the signal drops. And so, yeah, that was really fun to see other people create like totally different sounds than I'm like, like I would have approached with it. That, that's super fun. Yeah. When you have a tool that, that is that flexible, that's part of the beauty of it, right? It's like it's giving it to the, the artists and seeing, seeing what they do with it. That's what the, it's half the fun. Well, I've been really surprised um, to begin with. I thought that digit, like might appeal for the like some of the ambient people, but really the people that really got into it the most were um like blues and country players. Oh really? Yeah. Because it's kind of surprising. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it surprised me, but I mean I wanted that kind of style to people in that those kind of styles to be able to like it and enjoy it. And I tried to make it not look like a synthy thing, but look like something that somebody like I mean that likes most of the music I like can get into. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm like, I think a couple of people who were into those kind of styles got one and then other, they told other people about them because um, it does a really nice plate reverb and some people just want a really nice plate reverb uh, or they, you know, a real space, you know, it's got 
Um, it comes with an IR from Studio B in Nashville. I love Studio um, B in Nashville. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, you can just get those sounds straight away with it. So I think there's, like, it's got the opportunity for weirdness, but it doesn't have to be weirdness. Right. I just want to, I want to allow both of those options. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, we are, we have hit that hour mark and I still haven't asked you the two classic questions for the podcast. So we better get it, get into that. I've been babbling too much. All right, here we go. So first is, what is your favorite boss pedal? So, two parts to this response. My favorite product by Roland, <laughs> um, slash boss, um, is probably the, as I mentioned earlier, the MK7 for introducing me to Synthesis. Okay. And yeah, that's I fair. love it. Thank you. Thank you, um, Roland slash boss. I also love a number of their other products. Um They've made, you know, their products have g- created genres, and I kind of love that. Like the 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 TB three hundred three bass synth, there are whole genres mm-hmm. of electronic music that only exist because of that. And I just think that's that that's, think that's that's the greatest thing that you could possibly have as a, an, a as a instrument maker or as a um, you know person in like the music instrument kind of industry to have something that creates a genre. I just, I would love to somebody, you know, there's this, if I make a pedal and somebody like, oh, there's this new style of music that's possible because of this. I mean, well, I mean, you might, you, might, you might experience that. Who knows? That would be fantastic. So, yeah, I think the MK7 is definitely for introducing me to all of this stuff is definitely my fave. But um, from the actual boss line, um, which one of the choruses is my favorite? I don't C2? know. C2? C2? That makes sense. I haven't I haven't spent much time with the C1, so I don't really know. I mean, I feel like I should like it, but... I mean, I C2 mean, is great. Yeah, probably a C2. I All mean, right. that it does, you know, Joy Division-y things all right, but it also does cure things, so, you know. I like all that. Scratches both of your itches. C2. Yeah. All right, Next cool. Question. Next question. All right. And the most important one. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Uh, probably the... Um, there's a place in Melbourne that does $4 pizza. And I used to live around the corner from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and $4, $4 Australian dollars, um, just like 2 or 3 US, is a bargain price for a full pizza. That um, is a bargain price. I don't even know if that's possible here. Except for, no, I don't know of anywhere that does that. For a full yeah, pizza? Yeah, your food and your food is cheaper in the states than here. So it's just like an amazing they they just do it so you come in and drink really really expensive beer in their pub. Ah. <laughs> so maybe they're taking a loss on the pizza. I just, think they must be. They 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 probably take a massive loss on the pizza because the beer is really expensive. So I see. But is it good? Is it good pizza? It's yeah, it's really really nice, and so the I really enjoy the El Greco from there, which is um, a Melbourne has a big Greek community, and it's uh, a a pizza with um, halloumi on it, which is this I don't even know what that is. Cheese. Oh, it's cheese, cheese from Cyprus. Okay. It's cheese from gotcha. Cyprus. It's squeaky and delicious and Greek, and it's then it, and that's all fried and it's crispy cheese with olives on it. That sounds great. I would be about it's that. It's crispy That's cheese cool. with olives. So it's like, and it's a, um, like, 
It's a multicultural experience. That you know, it's an Italian good. pizza with Greek elements in <laughs> Melbourne. So I think, you know, Italian and Greek and stuff mixing, you know, in Melbourne. I think that's, it's, it's good. That works for me. Mm. All right. Uh, I forgot to let you do your plug. So where can everybody find you? Or if you just have something you want to share with the world, now is your chance to do it, which I usually do that sooner, but I forgot to because I did. Whoops. Sorry, I was probably chatting too much about random things. Um, so polyeffects.com is where you can find all the things. Um, we're on Instagram and other things. Um, so yeah, come and check it out on all of those things. Somebody has set up a user group for um, for the pedals. So yeah. So on Facebook or one. somewhere else? Yes, that one that, that is on Facebook. I think it's called the right. polyeffects users group. So yeah, find those and you'll be able to see everything about us. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Loki, thanks for so much for coming on and trying to break my brain. Um, <laughs> Sorry about the breaking. I'm like, like uh, this, is a lot, this is a lot for me to try to figure out right now, but I appreciate it. I know a lot of the <laughs> listeners are into doing weird stuff and they're definitely into cool gear and you've definitely created something cool. So this was, this was a fun chat. Thanks for chatting. Thanks for having me. Right on, man. So for Loki... This is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. I know that you could be listening to a whole bunch of different stuff right now, and you chose to listen to this, and that literally pays my bills. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And if you would like more of this conversation, we get into some heavy food topics on this week's Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash tonemob, for as little as five bucks a month, you can get extra episodes delivered to your ears every week. So, good stuff. Good times. Lots of fun stuff right there. So, yeah, we're getting close to like 100 episodes in the back catalog over there. There is so much of me talking on the internet if you're into that sort of thing. And if you're not, I don't know why you're still listening to this part. Because you just spent all that time. Anyway, this is dumb. But if you want to support the show with other ways... Uh, telling a friend, obviously, is huge. It really is huge. The more people that can tune into this thing, the better. And also, with your gear buying habits, if you go to ToneMob.com slash Sweetwater or ToneMob.com slash Reverb, either of those, depending on what you need, uh, you can help support the show with any of your purchases. You'll see on the ToneMob.com slash Sweetwater, there will be a bunch of suggested gear that I I picked all that. It's stuff that I either personally use or have something very similar most of it is actually stuff that i have bought and use myself so yeah but you don't have to a lot of people have asked me do i have to buy that for it to count no just anything you do through that link any purchasing you do will help come back and support the show so thank you so much for tuning in i'll talk to you guys next week stay safe everybody one last thing before we totally sign off here i just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, 
You need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.